Hi, I'm Philip Anthony Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, episode 199. I had a lot of listeners and YouTube viewers reach out to me since the last episode, and some of you guys shared some really interesting links and recommendations, so I thought I'd go over some of those before we really dig in. First up, my friend Crocoduck, not King Crocoduck from YouTube, but my friend Crocoduck, aka Humorbot on Twitter, sent me a link to a short story by Bob Price. If you're not familiar, Robert M. Price is a biblical scholar. I'm not sure if he technically considers himself to be an outright mythicist, uh, but you could at least say that he flirts with mythicism or leans in that direction. Either way, he's incredibly well-versed on the topic. And just in case you're not familiar, mythicism just refers to the idea that some hold that there may not have been a historical Jesus and that the concept uh, of Jesus was probably based on earlier myths or, or neighboring traditions, uh, dying and rising gods like Dionysus and Tammuz. Uh, I'm somewhat on the fence when it comes to mythicism. I obviously doubt the existence of Jesus as a supernatural entity, but I don't really have a problem with the idea that Jesus of Nazareth may have been an actual historical figure. On the other hand, I'm a skeptic, and I kind of see how a messianic story might grow out of or be influenced by other traditions. But being a skeptic, uh, you still have to prove it to me definitively either way. But anyway, so yeah, Robert M. Price is a biblical scholar, a really smart guy, and pretty funny too. And like myself, he's also a Lovecraft enthusiast. And uh, also, as I just found out through Crocoduck, he's also a fiction author. So the link Crocoduck sent me is to a YouTube video where Bob Price reads one of his own original stories. And the premise is, get ready for it, that Jesus is actually a golem, not Gollum from the Lord of the Rings, but a golem, a kind of human figure brought to life by Jewish or Kabbalistic magic, um, created by Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, pretty wild. I don't know why I find that idea so entertaining and compelling, but I do. So there's something for you to check out if you're so inclined. Then listener Scott Giroux, hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, I have a tendency to butcher names, uh, brought um, the You Made It Weird podcast to my attention. I believe it's affiliated with Nerdist, and it's hosted by Pete Holmes, who I believe is a stand-up comedian, and he has a lot of interesting guests on, ranging from fellow comedians to people like Bill Nye and musicians and actors. The guest on the specific episode Scott brought to my attention was John Hodgman. You might remember him from the old Mac versus PC ads. Justin Long played uh, Mac and John Hodgman played PC. Um, I think he might have had a small role on the Battlestar Galactica uh, reboot, too, if I remember correctly. Um, so Hodgman's an actor, a humorist, a writer... And uh, generally just a really bright guy. It's a long interview, maybe two hours or so. And it's probably around the halfway mark where they talk for a while about religion. And Hodgman talks about his own agnosticism and his kind of atheistic leanings. Maybe I'll play a clip now. And be forewarned, this is about five minutes long. 
but I think it's pretty interesting, so hopefully you'll like it. Uh, What's we, up with all these babies in limbo? Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> well, th- so no God for you? No God story for you? I, I, I f- felt tremendous comfort when I learned the term agnostic. Yeah, sure. It's a good one. Because the I being raised outside of religion or, or without any particular... I mean, culturally Catholic. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like a lot... A, a lot of guilt and fatty foods. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Similar to the Jews. Similar to the Jews. Yeah. And, you know, look, I in in all of my extended my 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 mom uh who as I say is no longer living, so I gotta use the past tense even though all these people are still alive, mm. uh had five sisters and a brother, you mm-hmm. know. So and they all practice Catholicism. Catholicism. Mm-hmm. As do my well, I don't know about my cousins on my dad's side, but in any case, you know, like lots of lots of Catholic, lots of Catholic weddings and masses in my life and mm-hmm. funerals and so on. Mm-hmm. But equally, I mean, growing up in Brookline, you know, there was that season where it was just a bar mitzvah every weekend. Yeah, yeah you know yeah, what I mean yeah. for for two years. Yeah, and I almost feel I have I have as much fluency with Judaism as practiced in Brookline as as with Catholicism. Right? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But and and in that sort of ecumenical growing up you know it's hard it's hard not to be uh you know joseph campbell mm-hmm. like oh they have their creation story and they have mm-hmm. this creation story mm-hmm. and they have their little tale and they have the, you know whatever but, wh- if you don't if you're not brought up in a thing it's hard not to it's hard to feel i think which is a crucial component of religion is i'm right and they're wrong mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. like i got it right. right our our people got it right right which is a preposterous notion it statistically it's you know, not st- I don't think statistically, but rationally, if you mm-hmm. take that 10,000 steps into the air and look down, it's like there have been a lot of worship traditions. Yes. And they all thought they were right. Right. The whole, our whole existence. Yeah. yeah. I mean, early on, it's like when you're studying Greek mythology, it's like, you know, you, you have to be pretty, uh, pretty closed off not to say, well, wait a minute. They had a whole bunch of gods. Yeah. And now we call them Dumb superstitions, right? right, right. Like they uh, become action figures, and, and right, exactly. I fight them in yeah. a PlayStation game. So you know, but but you, you at the same time you don't want to believe that you're going to die and be nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a perfect way to put it. You yeah. really don't want to believe that. I absolutely no. don't want to believe that. I'm, so ag- agnostic is is the lazy man's atheism that sure. gives you the out. I don't know, and I think that there's something reasonable and rational to saying i don't know because i think that's the first step of any scientific analysis of the world is we don't know mm-hmm. uh atheism i think comes you, you know i i have a lot of respect for the people who are able to go out there and say i'm an atheist because they're basically taking a stand like sure i don't know but i am pretty sure right that I this is the end this we- is the one lifetime we have that's okay. I, we do. Re- I always fail, but I always try and represent the atheists. They always say that they just believe that most atheists are agnostic, agnostic atheists. They're just saying it's most likely there's a point zero 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 one percent chance of anything. I don't know that there is. I don't. We we so profoundly don't know mm. that I I wouldn't even begin to ascribe a percentage to it. Mm-hmm. I will say that as I've grown older, unfortunately, my agnosticism has turned from hopefulness to sort of grim resignation that you don't think anything's going on i think most evidence suggests that that's true nothing yeah i thought you were going to say the other as you're getting older and the more like because no when because you... when i see two socks that match in in the dryer i don't think oh there is a god right unlike some people i know 
this lunatic, like right across from you. I can't change my brain. Like it loves that stuff. I, I think as someone as, who's, who's always tried to write plots in to his life, I've, I've over time come to appreciate how little, how little plot there is. Mm. And instead there is, there is randomness. And that is all scientifically explicable, mm-hmm. right? And so the the hopefulness and the consolation of hope that there might be something else goes down. It never goes away. Mm-hmm. Because to say, I know for sure, is the most anti-scientific thing you can say. That is religion. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. That is faith. Right. And I would say... I don't know. I couldn't even begin to guess what the percentage likelihood is. The point is, it is unknowable. And acknowledging that there is the unknowable, that that is the beginning of exploration of faith. Mm-hmm. Contemplating the abyss. Now, you're not... Uh, I don't hear too much concern. Like, you don't think... Uh, you don't act by a moral code for fear of some sort of judgment or God or anything. Or are you hedging your bets? N- no. In no way do I operate on a moral code for fear of judgment of God. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> you know. Yeah, so I like that. And that part where they talk about agnosticism and religion, that's probably closer to about 15 minutes long. And the entire interview, as I said, uh, exceeds about two hours. Uh, so if you want to check that out, once again, that is the You Made It Weird podcast hosted by Pete Holmes. All right. And lastly, at least as far as the listener recommendations go, listener Ed Connick shared a controversial story concerning Fireman Sam with me. Uh, I don't have kids, so beforehand I had no idea what the hell Fireman Sam was. I had never heard of it. But turns out it's an animated children's show that I think originated in Wales. From what I've read, it originally utilized stop-action animation, but now it's done with CGI. But the controversy comes in when it was recently discovered that in an older episode, I guess one of the characters is depicted as slipping on a pile of papers or uh, something to that effect, and we see random pages go flying up into the air. Well, one of the papers shown, strangely enough, is a page from the Quran. Uh, I kid you not, pretty weird. I'll read a little bit from a BBC News article, and this is the link that Ed shared with me. And this is dated July 27th. And they have a picture of the offending page, and the caption underneath reads, Mattel said the page was quote-unquote intended to show illegible text. An episode of Fireman Sam in which one character appears to tread on a page from the Koran has been withdrawn. A scene in the children's program shows a fireman slipping on a pile of papers. As they fly into the air, a page from the Koran is quote-unquote briefly depicted, production firm Mattel said. The episode was first broadcast in October 2014 on Channel 5, but the quote-unquote error has only recently been spotted. Mattel apologized and said it did not believe it was done quote-unquote maliciously. Channel 5, which broadcasts Fireman Sam, has removed the episode from its streaming website. 
Mikdad Versi, I think it is, <laughs> Assistant Secretary General of the Muslim Council of Britain, tweeted, I have no idea what went through the producers' minds when they thought this was a good idea. Hashtag baffled. He also said he had identified the page from the Quran as Surah Mulk, verses 13 through 26. And I actually looked up those verses just out of curiosity. I wanted to see if there's anything particularly provocative about them. But no, they were pretty boring, mundane. There was nothing about striking off the heads or fingertips of infidels or anything in those particular verses. But continues, never again. A Mattel spokeswoman said, it's just an unfortunate incident where someone from the production company thought they were just putting in random text. We have no reason to believe it was done maliciously. In a statement, Mattel said, the page was intended to show illegible text and we deeply regret this error. We sincerely apologize for any distress or offense it may have caused. That line jumped out at me the first time I read the article, apologizing for any distress or offense. It showed a single page from the Quran. It's not like they showed Muhammad filleting himself. And even if they did, you probably can guess what my stance would be. I was supportive of the Charlie Hebdo cartoons as well as the earlier Dutch ones. Uh, if you're offended by that, slap yourself in the face and wake up. It's a page from a man-made quote-unquote holy book. That may sound callous, but hey, I'm an atheist. Uh, take divine revelation out of the picture, and all you have left is just a book. Nothing to get worked up about. But anyway, uh, crawling down off my soapbox and continuing with the article. It said it would quote-unquote no longer... What's with all the quotes, man? Uh, every time I say quote-unquote, th there's uh, your drinking game. It said it would quote-unquote no longer be working with the animation studio responsible and would take quote-unquote immediate action to remove this episode from circulation. We are reviewing our content production procedures to ensure this never happens again. Yes, yeah, so a, a really weird little story. Um, friend of the show and I, uh, the illustrious Russ Ray, we're both trying to figure out how it got there. Was it someone with some kind of political anti-Muslim agenda or just some digital artist being mischievous? I guess there's another possibility. It could have been someone who really was just looking for a legible text who had no idea what Arabic looks like. Either way, I like chaotic little stories like that. Enough to stir up a nice little bit of controversy, but no one gets hurt. I hope. If I hear about embassy burnings or beheadings related to Fireman Sam, I will fully give up on humanity. Uh, but thanks again to Ed for sharing that. Let's see, I'm trying to decide what I want to talk about next. Do I want to reply to a YouTuber concerning my Catholic upbringing, or do I want to continue talking about Islam? I know everyone's probably getting tired of hearing so much about Islam, uh, but the news keeps throwing these stories at me, and in turn, I keep throwing them at you guys. Uh, I guess I'll quickly try to get a couple of more quote-unquote Islam stories out of the way. Well, quickly for me, anyway, which could mean the scenic back route with a lot of long and winding digressions, but I'll try to keep it brief. So there were two stories that jumped out at me this week, and they presented what I thought was this really sharp or poignant juxtaposition. There was the horrific and grotesque story of an 84-year-old French priest 
who brazenly had his throat slit by jihadists during a mass. And then there was the story of the father of a Muslim American army captain who died saving his men, uh, speaking about his son at the DNC. And I think in a way, the two stories show the best and the worst, the polar extremes of Muslim immigration stories. On the one hand, you have these thugs in France who turned their backs on their host country, uh, not sure if they were first or second generation, pledged allegiance to a foreign terrorist organization and brutally murdered an 84-year-old man, a priest during mass. Uh, I might be a non-believer, but still, there is something shocking about those details. And on the other hand, you have the story of someone who not only assimilated, but gave his life saving the men under his command while serving his adopted country. And I think there may be a couple of takeaways. One might be that for some reason, relatively speaking, the U.S. seems to do a better job of assimilating its immigrants. Although, to be fair, we've had some pretty awful terror incidents committed by first or second gen Muslim immigrants here, too. I think the perpetrator of the Pulse nightclub massacre, where 49 innocent people were gunned down, was uh, a second-generation immigrant. Then there was the San Bernardino massacre, where a wife and husband murdered a bunch of people at a holiday party. I think the wife, at least, was first-generation. I don't know about the husband. Uh, yeah, I just looked it up. The husband was born in the States to Pakistani immigrant parents. His wife was supposedly from Saudi Arabia. He met her online and traveled to meet her. So yeah, we're dealing with this epidemic of Islamic extremism on this side of the pond, too. I just bum myself out by thinking about all these attacks. But I guess uh, one difference is that in Europe, we hear about these kind of insular Muslim, for lack of a better word, ghettos with high rates of crime and people failing to successfully assimilate where we don't really see that in the U.S., at least not among the Muslim population. Most of our Middle Eastern or South Asian immigrants seem to adapt pretty quickly and find a place for themselves in the American middle class. I think another takeaway might be, and this should go without saying, that even if we find a certain ideology problematic, say Islam or at least radical Islam, or we find organized religion or literal belief to be dangerous or in our opinion as non-believers, maybe downright stupid, we should try to remember that we're all human and just because someone belongs to or was born into a certain religion, that doesn't mean that they represent the worst of that faith's adherence. I know I criticize Islam a lot on the show and I talk a lot about terror attacks, etc. But I think it's good to remember that there's also a lot of good Americans out there who happen to be Muslim, some of which, uh, not to sound too jingoistic, are even dying for this country. Something to think about before you go outside and accidentally beat up a Sikh. Uh, <laughs> but I'll read a little bit about that Muslim American army captain. Um, See, Pakistan-born Khan, 65, appeared on stage at Wells Fargo Arena, the site of the Democratic Convention with his wife, Ghazala, at his side. He spoke of the heroism of his son, Army Captain Humayun, I hope I'm not butchering it, S.M. Khan, who was killed in action in Iraq in 2004 by an advancing vehicle loaded with hundreds of pounds of explosives. 
the 27-year-old soldier who was born in the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, ordered his unit to halt while he walked toward the vehicle, saving the lives of his fellow soldiers from the ensuing explosion. So yeah, that is a very uh, moving and inspiring story. I decided not to read more from that article because I don't want people to think that I'm pushing some agenda for Hillary Clinton or the DNC. As I think I said last week, I do lean left on a lot of issues, but I prefer to consider myself an independent. I'm too turned off by our warring political party system and and I'm too averse to groupthink to brand myself with the label of any party. To be honest, I'm turned off by both Trump and Clinton. Well, I'll amend that a little. I like Donald for his entertainment value. He's orange and he's out of control. You never know what he's going to say. And there is something entertaining or exciting about that. I'm not a big fan of reality TV, but I used to watch The Celebrity Apprentice because sometimes they'd have interesting contestants on, people who maybe that I admire or like, like Penn Jillette. But as a presidential candidate, I can't take him seriously. He's like a caricature of a self-absorbed, self-important businessman come to life. And yet I get the feeling that he's not the sharpest uh, knife in the draw. Part con man, part autistic child. I don't know. Uh, Somehow he's become SNL's Daryl Hammond's parody of himself. It's very bizarre. And Hillary, uh, I don't trust her either. She strikes me as a career politician. I did kind of like Bernie, but I guess that dream is over. See, did I remember to insult everyone, Trump and uh, Hillary supporters, parents of autistic children? Um, I sincerely hope I don't have any parents of autistic children in the audience. Mia culpa, just in case. Um, Just my inappropriate sense of humor at work. I'm sure your child will grow up to be much brighter than Donald Trump. Uh, What else? Oh, yeah. So there's a YouTuber. I forget his exact user handle or channel name, but begins with Bobby. I really like him and we interact a lot in the comments section of my videos. His comments always mysteriously vanish, though. They disappear into some weird YouTube Bermuda Triangle. But he responded to my personal story about becoming an atheist, which I discussed in the last episode. But he said something to the effect that he doesn't know what the big deal is about becoming an atheist. And he was discussing how when he was growing up Catholic, many of the people around him seemed to be Catholic in name only, basically cultural Catholics, including his parents and some priests. So in a way, this is kind of similar to uh, John Hodgman's experience. But I had a much different experience. My parents both took religion rather seriously. Religious iconography everywhere. I used to be afraid to enter my parents' bedroom at night because the ghastly religious statues gave me a really creepy, uncanny valley type of vibe. I had Sunday school teachers and my parents warning us about the dangers of the occult. I had a close friend whose family used to visit places like Magigoria and Fatima and come back with miracle stories, etc. And being born in the 70s, I also lived through the so-called satanic panic, a time during the 80s where there was this almost Salem witch trial-esque fear being drummed up about the evils of heavy metal, and there were all these stories having to do with so-called satanic ritual abuse. But maybe all this is moot. I think the only thing that's really required to cause someone to feel some kind of emotional or psychological distress while moving towards atheism is the knowledge of your own mortality or the ephemeral nature of your own being. 
The idea that there may not be any quote-unquote plan. I imagine that even a young person who is raised in a secular or godless home could still go through an existential bout similar to what I went through. All it takes is for you to say to yourself, holy crap, someday I'm gonna die. Uh, I think in fairness, uh, for me, the fact that I had been raised to believe in a god definitely didn't help. It made the landing when the existential rug was pulled out from under me that much harder. Not only do you have to wrestle with those big existential questions like what happens when I die, why am I here, you also have to deal with that sense of loss, the sense of realizing, as with the Easter Bunny and Santa, that God, this being that you were raised to believe in, in fear that everything revolves around the architect of the universe, that it could very well be that he just ain't out there. Oh yeah, there was one more thing I wanted to mention. I thought it was kind of funny. I bought a used Microsoft Surface tablet off of Amazon, and when I received it this week, not only did it have a big dent next to one of the speakers, but it also had some of the former owner's belongings tucked into the protective case that came with it. There was what looked like someone's demo CD, and there was also a folded up piece of paper that was labeled Minister's Meeting, and there were a lot of interesting notes on the page, like, preach to the sick, not the well. And my favorite, and here it is in quotes, we deep, but we speak to the undeep, wonderfully self-deluding and patronizing. Interesting how those who embrace a belief system they've been spoon-fed all their lives consider themselves quote-unquote deep, take another drink unless you're driving. In my opinion, it takes true depth of thought to wrestle with what you've been taught or indoctrinated into and to intellectually climb and struggle your way free of it, in my humble opinion. But uh, I think that's it for this week. So as always, thanks for listening, guys. You know the drill. You can like the Facebook page, follow the show on Twitter, check out the YouTube channel. Uh, you can subscribe or rate the show via iTunes. If you want to help the show out monetarily, you can use the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. There's all that alliteration. Or you can go to patreon.com slash theweekendout and pledge as little as 99 cents a month. All right. Thanks again.